Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. From the Scratch Lab studios in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas, RoadBikeRider.com Radio, The Six Success Factors, Part 2, here with John Hughes and uh, Vice President of Training Peaks, Bryce Walsh. Thanks very much for joining us. Always good to chat with you. And John, why couldn't it be the seven success or five success? It'd be so much easier to say. Five would be easier than seven, but yeah. That's true. Eight. <laughs> Eight, well, yeah. some, it's, why not 12? <laughs> <laughs> then we could do six podcasts. That's right. Uh, there, there are six, which I will enumerate. Planning and training, which we talked about in the first podcast. Nutrition and mental, which we're going to talk about in this podcast. And then equipment and skills in the next one. Uh, Bryce and I were chatting during the break, and, and we agree that one of the most important things that coaches do is simply provide a plan not any old plan but most plans simply some discipline and structure will help a lot and before we dive right into nutrition it might not be quite the right way to say it before we talk about nutrition uh, remind listeners that I, I mentioned at the last of the at, at the end of the last podcast that endurance training is all about pushing the wall farther out Farther out before you hit the wall, your brain's fuzzy and your legs don't work. And the reason that happens, your body can only store a limited amount of glycogen, which your body then metabolizes into sugar to fuel your muscles. And even sitting here right now talking, we are burning some sugar. You're never burning purely fat. And so what endurance training does is it increases the amount of fat you burn and decreases the amount of sugar you burn at a given intensity. So it's saving sugar that way. And it increases the amount of sugar that your body can store by 20 to 50%. So that's intro to nutrition. And you can kind of hear where I'm heading, which is eat sugar. Right, guys? Absolutely. Sugar-coated bacon is my <laughs> dream food. Oh, I don't like the look you're giving me. Okay. <laughs> Sugar-coated donuts are good. Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys remember Ed Cross? Absolutely. You remember who Ed Cross was sponsored by one year for Ram? I, I he had the big banner. Well, George, you've done my tours. You know what the favorite snack food is? Pop-Tarts. Absolutely. Ed was sponsored by Pop-Tarts, and he had a big Pop-Tarts banner on the front of his van. And people say, oh, my God, sugar spike, then you crash. 
That's actually not what happens physiologically. The problem is you eat some sugar and then you simply burn it all up again. So as long as you continue eating sugar, and I'm serious, you're good. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about white sugar. What happens in your body is it's burning glucose, which is one of the sugars. Ooh, you had me thinking we could just bring bags of gummy bears on our training ride, but okay. You, you can. <laughs> what, what, what's the sugar in gummy, gummy bears? Uh, it's probably white sugar. <laughs> pro, pro, probably sucrose. And the reason I mention that is a little more physio, physiology. You can metabol, metabolize up to about 60 grams of one kind of sugar. So not so you could eat 60 grams of, of gummy bears, George, in one sitting, and you could digest them. 70 grams of gummy bears, your stomach would get all gummy oh. and say, mm, excuse me, this is too much. So 240 calories of one sugar you can put down and digest. Uh, research physiologist Asker Jorgendrup did a lot of research, whereas if you eat two different kinds of sugars simultaneously, you can digest up to 90 grams. So I what I recommend for you as a race diet, George, is 60 grams of gummy bears and 30 grams of banana. I can do that. In fact, that'd look kind of cool to push the gummy bears into the banana. <laughs> you got to get creative. with. How much sugar did you just burn by saying Oscar Jagendrup? Uh, quite a bit. <laughs> Mostly in my drain brain trying to figure out how on earth I'm supposed to pronounce his name. That was very well done. Yeah, yeah. Did you like that? Okay, so, thank you. So, so I, uh, I, I eat very little raw sugar. I eat honey, I eat molasses, uh, eat a lot of fruit. Uh, I recommend a high-carb diet. What are carbs, guys? Name some carbs for me. Bread. Pasta, potatoes, yeah. Bread. <laughs> Apples, oranges, <laughs> bananas, <laughs> carrots, celery. All of the vegetables, all of the fruits are carbohydrate, a little fiber, and water. So when we talk about eating carbs, we're not talking about eating necessarily white bread and pasta with lots of greasy pasta sauce. There are a whole variety that you can and should be eating. Uh, and I don't eat a lot of pasta, rice, etc., etc. I'm really heavy on the veggies and fruit, which have got more nutrients, micronutrients, so vitamins and minerals, than white bread. So for me and for the people I coach, that's the biggest part of every meal. If you want to envision your plate, your dinner plate, your breakfast plate, and it's mostly covered with carbs, and there's a little piece of protein about the size of a deck of carbs, uh, of protein, deck of carbs. So think about protein as a condiment rather than a main dish. Now you're both training hard for raw. Be honest, what are you eating? Hmm. Well, my wife says I've never met a carb I didn't like. Um, I'm actually trying to eat really healthy these days, but I'm eating a lot more than I normally do because I've actually been trying to bring my weight up. Is it working? It is working um, to a point, but it's not, you know, ra I'm, I'm just, I feel good. Um, a lot of salad with protein on it. Um, 
I'm eating a breakfast every day, which is very not normal for me. I generally use uh, raw gluten-free oats with yogurt and fruit. I love it. Um, again, they're not cooked. I really like the raw oats for some reason. Uh, and then uh, toast with egg. I like to hard boil a couple of eggs, two slices of toast, slice the eggs up and put it on that. That's generally my lunch. And then uh, salad, salad and soup at dinner. So Georgia's get a little protein each meal, which is good. You're boiling your eggs. Mm-hmm. You're not frying them nope. or scrambling them. So that's very healthy, reducing the fat. Uh, my breakfast is pretty similar. I, I have yogurt, berries, and uh, some granola, a little wheat germ, and copious amounts of coffee, of course. Mm-hmm. Bryce, what are, you, what are you eating these days? You know, I am, uh, I am probably the, 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 the bad example here, right? <laughs> I, am, I am meat and carbs, I, I think would be the best way to put it. Um, eggs for breakfast quite often um yogurt during the week a lot though too but yeah i am a i'm a midwestern boy meat and potatoes for sure um and a lot but since also a lot a lot of pasta um trying to be a little bit better about getting more vegetables into the diet but um that is definitely uh, a weak spot for me for sure so So you're eating what we call a rad diet a a regular american diet Probably. And my guess is that probably a few of you out there listening eat that. And I'm not suggesting you toss out the meat and start eating just vegetables. Tweak it a little at the margin. Mm-hmm. No matter what, tweak it a little at the margin so you're getting more carbs. And how you do that is less important than doing it. Another part of it that is really important is... And George started to touch on this. George eats breakfast. Do you eat, you eat breakfast, Bryce? Sometimes. Okay. Yeah. All through ski season, I never ate breakfast. Yeah. Never ate lunch. I just grab a snack, which is, you know, I, it was not healthy weight loss, with combined with high stress. What 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 I do if I'm rushed for breakfast? I actually made time this morning to eat at home. But had I not had time, is I will, I'll bring along a bagel and a couple pieces of fruit in the car while I'm going somewhere. And one of the nutrition tips I picked up decades ago is instead of smearing something tasty like cream cheese on my bagel, I put on a little uh, hot sauce. Gives me some flavor, not a lot of fat. Now I want to come back to your point of snacking, George. That's how I eat. I eat a pretty small lunch or breakfast. I have in my bag an apple and and a pear that I'll eat you know, when we're done, mid-morning. And then I'll have a smallish lunch. And then I'll have some, I usually have some vegetables an hour or two before dinner. Uh, partly because I like vegetables, partly because it fills me up and I don't eat as much for dinner. And then uh, have dinner. And then up until the last week or so, I've been having a very healthy snack before bed, which is a bunch of grapes. I love grapes. And we've also introduced a nice big chocolate bar into that. Which is, I wanted to bring that up because one thing I really like are raw beets. Uh, I like the way they make me feel. I would throw a raw beet in the Vitamix with some water and then drink it, which made me gag. But I would feel like a million bucks out on a ride following that. But I found that, or I've heard that uh, dark chocolate gives you the same type of 
physical reaction that eating a raw beet does, so I've switched over to dark chocolate because <laughs> it's a lot more palatable. It, it, it really is, and anything in moderation is fine. You know, we, we were joking about going out for a few beers after the last podcast. Yeah, in all honesty, we didn't, but had we had a beer with lunch a couple of times a week, that's not the end of the world. Having three beers every night, that's not so good. What I needed to do is wean down to where it's half a chocolate bar in the evening. I mean, you know, I mean, Bryce likes eggs for breakfast. That that's not the end of the world. He's getting protein. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so two basic points. One is eat carbs. The other is eat frequently. It's what I call grazing. Now, when, when you've done Paris, 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 Bryce, how, what have you eaten? Um, how have you eaten? So I, the last few times I've carried um, drink mix so that I get a certain amount of calories um, and, and use drop eggs. So I'd get it, I could at least rely on a certain amount of calorie intake that way. It was something I knew my stomach would typically deal well with. But then other than that, it's it has just really been very, very basic things. I Honestly, I eat um, baguettes along the way with sandwiches. I mean, that's pretty much my standard thing in, in PvP was ham and cheese baguettes, you know, because I knew that they wouldn't upset my stomach and would give me a sense of feeling full in addition to using a sports drink as well. So, so, so Bryce has tested his nutrition and figures out what works on a long ride. Uh, had a client once who was into 24-hour races, and this particular individual was trying to figure out what to eat that would go down and stay down, so this individual got on the trainer every morning mm-hmm. and rode and rode and rode and ate. Uh, I did PVP first time back in 79, and I'd done a bunch of double centuries, and I thought I had it dialed in, so I figured, baguettes and bananas, what else do you need? Mm-hmm. And by the time I developed mouse sores about the second day, <laughs> hard baguettes weren't so good. And you also get really tired of that stuff. And so I just stopped eating. And what my body did was cannibalize my muscles, my protein, to produce the sugar that my brain needed. So <laughs> my, my muscles even started to go away. So, so that's not a good way to eat. Um, so I assume you ate outside of the... Well, in addition to at the controls, Bryce? In, no. Or, or at least consumed your drink? Yeah, the drink was was always always there. Though, I mean, to be totally honest, the last few times I've found that um, I've had to change from the drink I was using because of, you know, it's been many years. I've been using the same thing for years, and I think uh, I've been starting to not be able to drink that for as long as I used to. Um which has been an, that's also been an interesting thing as I've gotten older now, um, you know, like acid reflux things are, are more common and stuff like that. So I've had to reevaluate all these things that used to work fine for me for, you know, days on end, certain sorts of things. And, um, you know, nutrition is always really, really hard over these multi-day events, especially. I've, I always kind of, Say like a you know twelve hours I can eat almost anything like I'm, I'm I can eat pizzas and stuff like that for a twelve hour race but when it gets to uh, 
more than when it starts getting near 24 hours and after 24 hours then it's where you really have to be more diligent about what you're taking in over the course of the race so so from my experience diligent both in terms of what you're taking in the quality yeah. and when you're taking it in yeah. uh, the american college of sports medicine recommends that if you're doing an endurance workout starting in the second hour eat uh 120 to 200 call it call it 100 and 250 calories an hour and that works great if you're only doing a two or three hour ride but if you're doing something longer you really need to start in the first hour and eat closer to 300 back when i lived in california um, which has rainy winters but not snowy winters i would train in the winter and try to do it a, a winter century every month and and i figured out that as long as i ate and drank 300 calories every hour i could ride 100 miles in the rain and not be happy but i wouldn't bonk i wouldn't hit the wall and so i learned and i now i try to teach my clients to eat by your watch we were hiking in bryce national park with friends a couple of weeks ago who uh don't have a lot of experience with nutrition and on the first hike uh the woman bonked she'd had a big breakfast and then she felt sort of lightheaded and had to sit down fairly obvious to me but i didn't say well blankety blank you didn't eat you know she <laughs> ate something and she felt better and so the next day we did about a three-hour hike and i kept track and at the end of an hour i said well you know i'm gonna stop and eat what do you mean we had a big breakfast i just don't want to have happen to sue what happened on Monday, we're going to stop and eat. And we, you know, we all ate. We're walking along. And the way Bryce works, it's wonderful, wonderful canyon. The first hike of the canyon is kind of downhill and really cool scenery. And then the second half is uphill. And so at that point, it became even more important to eat. And I kept watching my watch. And about 45 minutes into it, there was a very nice kind of rock pedestal we could sit on. And okay, see this pedestal? We're going to sit and eat. And we did. And we all had plenty of energy to get to the top. So part of it is the regularity, just staying on top of it. Because once you start down that deficit trail, you're in trouble. George, what, what do you eat on more on endurance kind of rides, brevets and so on? I really like rice bars. Um, I'll boil up rice, mix in egg, either Swiss or Parmesan cheese, and uh, sprinkle some bacon up in it and uh, smush them all together. Use sushi rice so it congeals pretty well and I really like eating those it's good flavor it's plenty of salt in it and uh, the other thing that I really like when I want something sweet is a payday bar because you've got sugar you got peanuts and I I love them payday bar snickers any of that kind of stuff now a caution with your rice bars uh, knew a couple of uh, racers and they'd gone through the Boulder Junior cycling team and, and they'd moved up. They were on one of the development teams and they decided what they'd do for a good hard training ride is they'd ride over Trail Ridge to uh, Grand Lake. And they'd spend the night and then they'd ride back the next day, which seems a little much to me these days, but still. And, and they liked those rice bars. And by the time they got to Trail Ridge, they were having real digestive problems. And by the time they got to Grand Lake, the digestive problems had moved on down the system. And the problem was food poisoning. 
quite simply. The rice will ferment, the protein, any, any protein should not be out of refrigeration for more than an hour. And so if you yeah, I was thinking more of raw, we just keep them all in the cooler and perfect. I mix up a big bowl. I don't even make that into to bars. I just pull a, open the cooler, grab a spoon, eat a few bites and go. Yeah. For something like that, where you can keep it refrigerated. That's great. Raw. If, if you're doing it, you know, a, a Ram qualifier or something where you got a crew, they can keep it refrigerated. That works great. But, but what about, I mean, you know, I know you do some brevets in the spring. Um, at least some years, what do you eat on them, or do you? I don't eat that much. Um, I like the candy bars. I generally will bring... I don't like energy bars that much. Um, yeah, boy, you... Uh, <laughs> little Debbie's. <laughs> They're cheap. <laughs> They're easy to carry, and they keep. Why, why on earth would you spend... Two dollars to two hundred, two dollars and fifty cents for a bar that doesn't taste good. That's what I've never been able to understand. Yeah, I just I don't like them, Little Debbie's. It's two dollars for a dozen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I personally, I like I like Fig Newtons, and I like breakfast bars, granola bars, and they work really well. Uh, a couple years ago, I, I, I wrote an article, again, it's available on the Road Bike Rider website, on pro-nutrition. What do the pros eat and drink? And I interviewed uh, several people in the Peloton and that work with the Peloton, and they eat a lot of real food. If you're out there doing a six-hour stage, bars and sports drink get really, really tired. They're doing little sandwiches, you know, called panini, boiled potatoes, so forth and so on. And part of what's in this article is how to make your own sports nutrition that tastes just as good, if not better, and is really cheap. You can make your own sports drink out of orange juice, water, salt, and sugar. It's got all the same stuff that XXXAID has. And you can control the sweetness by how much sugar you do or don't put in. So the articles for sports drinks there. Um, the articles if you want to make your own gels, how to do that, uh, recipes for, for solid food. So check that out on, on the uh, website, Eating and Drinking Like the Pros. Now we've gone through three success factors. What's uh, going to be our second one for today? Uh, I wish I could remember, you know, <clears throat> get to my agent at CRS. Uh, ac actually, we're, we're talking about uh, <clears throat> mental, which ties in quite directly. I remember back in 91, I had a training partner, 1991, we were training for PVP both years. And <clears throat> we get to where one of us was feeling pretty crappy and we'd say, mm, when did you last eat? And that was usually the key. I mean, I've stressed over and over, the brain only runs on sugar. So if you haven't stopped for a piece of pie recently or pancakes, or eating little Debbies, you're going to run into brain trouble. Now, Bryce, you and I were talking uh, before, and, and you said, in, in some ways, for you, the mental's the most important factor. Talk a little more about that. Yeah, you know, I've found that especially these longer events, um, for sure. Um, well, and, you know, even even just regular bike racing to a, to a degree, most of the training that I've 
done over the over the years has been building self-confidence I think rather than necessarily needing to do a certain amount of time or a certain, or a certain amount of miles for an event um, I always think back like the, I always think to the ram buildup when I when I raced ram I, I probably put in I think 13,000 miles just in the year right before June for that that particular event I don't think you need 13,000 miles um, to get ready for RAM in that year. The reason I did that was to know how I would feel after doing multiple days of long, long, a long time out there, how I would feel um, getting back on the bike after sleeping for an hour and a half. Um, that was, I, all that stuff was to build up this self-confidence that I knew that I could do this when I was out there on the road. Um, so I always I always kind of think about it that way. I don't think I think anybody that's reasonably fit can make it through these events. Um, it's not I mean, most of us aren't super athletes. We're not like you know we aren't these you know once in a lifetime sort of genetics models or anything like that. It's really just almost about stubbornness and building up that that personal strength to continue on. So, so that yeah, I think that kind of sums up my view of ultra racing. There, <laughs> a brief point, and then I would have to agree. <laughs> want, want to hear in more detail uh, your your thoughts, George? Uh, Jens Voigt, you guys remember Jens Jensi, uh, retired a year or so ago, and he said he really wished he'd had more confidence when he was racing. Now, here's a guy that used to go on solo breakaways for you know 200k. And he said the reason he did that, he didn't have the confidence that he could, you know, sprint in a bunch. And he wished he'd worked more to develop his confidence. Interesting if somebody, a pro like that, has to work on confidence. George, you and I have talked about uh, past years when you've been training for Raw and you, I mean, you read about these people that are doing mega miles. And you're when not. I did solo ram in 95, I skied all winter. And I think I had maybe 3,500 miles going into it. It was uh, your Pacific Crest Tour that was really my main block of training. That was 13 days. And uh, I just, physically, I wasn't really ready with that few miles. Um, you know, I lost my neck and some other things. But it, Bryce totally nailed it. It was really just, I'm out here to finish. I got to keep going. And uh, I didn't feel like I needed a bazillion miles to to train before I went out and did it. I just needed to feel like I was fit and ready to go. Yeah, the tour of the George is is talking. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
forget about it, it was my Pacific Crest tour, uh, which was back and forth through the Sierra. Uh, and it had around 1,500 miles in the 13 days. And it turned out it had 110, 120,000 feet of climbing. I, I kind of estimated 80,000 feet from that. You saw how bad a shape I was in at the beginning. <laughs> we, we, we won't go there. We, we, we thought we were just going to drop George at the next town we got to and tell him to take the Greyhound. Uh, anyhow, th- those were really hard days. And you weren't sleep deprived. But the one, you had to get up the next morning and get on your bike for another hard day. And that's an important part of building confidence. Uh, talked a little in, in the last episode about how I work with riders preparing for PBP or, or something like that uh, in peaking. And a lot of that is building the confidence that you can ride until you're pretty tired, 200K, take a really short sleep, and get up and ride some more. Um, one of the things that I that I have people do is a simulation ride similar to what the two of you are doing for Race Across the West in that I'll say, okay, I want you to go out and ride 300K. And every 25K, I want you to imagine that you've covered 100K in Paris, Press Paris. Where will you be? What will the weather be like? How will you feel? What will you be wearing? And that's a way of getting your head around it. Another way of doing it, uh, we talked in the last session about planning. And, and part of planning is planning for an event. I've got a good friend, uh, Kim Freitas, rode Paris, Paris, Paris with Kim uh, once. And she taught me an important lesson. She prepares three plans for every event, you know, like PVP. And one is the plan she hopes to ride. When's she going to get to each control? How long is it going to take? One of them is the tailwind plan. Life's good. Getting in some good packs. Drafting. And one of them is, this is not going well plan. And even with the this is not going well plan, she knows that she can finish in under the time limit. And so that helps her. That's another way of kind of getting your head around the event, thinking it through. And if you're out there and you're shifting to the not going well plan instead of throwing up your hands and saying, oh my God, I'm going to DNF. You say, okay, I'm in the slower plan. I'm just going to keep chunking along. So all those kinds of planning uh, work really well. I was actually just working on a column for uh, RBR Newsletter and talking about endurance riding. Um, you guys ever gotten discouraged in the middle of a, of a, of a long ride? No, never. Okay, good. <laughs> George is just a confidence. He's very optimistic. You know? so. what, what, you, what about you, Bryce? Have you ever gotten discouraged? Um, uh, you know, probably almost every single <laughs> event I've ever I've ever done. I mean, that's that is part of the draw of these in a lot of ways. It's the there's always going to be that moment where you didn't maybe get enough calories in, or you're not feeling great, but you keep going and you you get through that that struggle you know and I think I think that's part of maybe the addiction of long distance racing actually in a way too it's like I don't know if it would have as much draw if it was just oh that was easy if it was easy you'd feel like you hadn't put in everything you could while you're out there anyway especially on a race so I was on a training ride Saturday and just feeling horrible I wanted to turn around and quit 
and I thought you've got to keep going and uh, I mean it was just I seriously no joke was thinking it's time for you to take up curling (laughs) (laughs) curling's good I I mean how often do you do crunches George no, I'd want to be the guy with the broom <laughs> so it. that I wouldn't even Got need it. to be over. <laughs> the, in a recent issue of the newsletter, uh, Ken Bonner did a, a kind of a self-portrait of, of his cycling career, and and he Ken got kind of a late start. He didn't start until the early 80s. I started 10 years ahead of him. Of course, Ken improved a lot more than I did. And it's the a wonder-if factor. I wonder if... I wonder, God, I've ridden 200K. I wonder if I could do do a double century. I've done some double centuries. I wonder if I could do a 400K. I wonder if I could do a 1,000. I wonder if I could do, you keep doing the I wonder if until you get to the point where you say, okay, I could do that, but that's enough. Uh, and, and it's really the mental thing of can you do it. Uh, two things that I've learned over the years, like Bryce, most rides for me that are over about 50 miles, I, I get discouraged in the middle. How, how long was your ride this weekend, George? Oh, it was short. It was just up to peak-to-peak uh, peak highway, so 30 miles. But it was in the middle of a 17-mile climb, and I was just like, wow, I'm really terrible. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. And five minutes later, it was gone, and you're fine. That, that, that's what I call the ugly middle, and it may not go away in just five minutes, but Every long ride that I started out, I feel great at the beginning. My legs are fresh. I'm strong. I'm doing great. And then I get to where my legs aren't so fresh. And it's still a hell of a long way to the finish. You know, I mean, you're halfway to Ward and your legs are tired. And you've got another couple thousand Oh, everything else was tired, too. Everything else <laughs> is tired, too. And then you get to where you come around the corner and it gets to that 15%. But there's only a mile, kind of, of, of 10 to 15%. And you can actually smell the barn. You but know, when you're going four miles an hour and you know it's going to be another 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But, but the point is, toward the end of a ride, you start to smell the barn. And most rides have this pattern of feel great in the beginning, the ugly middle, smell the barn. And so if somebody listening is getting discouraged in the middle of a long ride, instead of throwing up your hands and saying, I should start curling and say, oh, well, it's what Coach Hughes calls the ugly middle, and it'll pass, I'll start to smell the barn. Another important part of it, and it's something that I think probably works for you two, two guys on, on Raw, as well as a lot of other people, set a short-term goal. Yeah. I mean, all you gotta do is hammer for 15 minutes, George, right? That's all you gotta do, and then Bryce has to do it. You don't have to hammer for half an hour. Years and years back, back in '95, uh, I coached the Pack Masters, four men who had done met on Pack Tour, and I was the crew, or, and I was the crew chief, and I was setting up the pulls and so forth and so on. And I, I misjudged one pull, and the rider actually had to pull for an hour and twenty. I was only supposed to pull for an hour. I was pretty darn upset with me, and understandably, his mental goal was I got to ride for an hour and then I'm done and he had to ride for an hour and 20 so a way to get through stuff I'm, I'm not as fit as George is I don't I don't sort of I mean I ride to up to Ward but I don't say well I think I'll ride to Ward I say hmm, well bet I can ride the five miles to the junction to Jamestown bet I can climb another 500 feet gosh keep going there used to be a couch at that rest 
pullout up at the, what, the 11 mile mark. I don't know if the couch is still there, but I can ride to that pullout. I, I didn't see a couch. <laughs> I haven't seen a couch in a while. So <clears throat> setting really short-term goals. You know, I mean, if you're doing a brevet, all you got to do is ride to the first control. I had a, 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 a neophyte rider that I was coaching to ride a couple of centuries, and he said, all you really have to do is ride to the top of the hill. Don't think about how long 100 miles is. Right at the top of the hill. And then you think about the next goal. I worked with a, a friend and client once who was doing uh, First Creek 508. Developed severe digestive trouble. Was the person was convinced that with the combination of throwing up and diarrhea, the rider could not possibly finish. And I said, I know you can't finish, but you owe it to me. You really owe it to me <laughs> to ride to the top of this climb. And we kept doing that, and the individual finished and qualified for the race across America. And this person developed it, the problem, 100, only 150 miles into a 500-mile race. <laughs> but by simply focusing on the short term, what other mental factors work for you guys? I, I was going to reiterate, I think when I first started doing brevets, might have even been Lon that said, told me, like, never think about the entire distance always just think about the next turn you know and i think that that always sort of plays into the way i've looked at these things i always joke that i don't remember the course on any of these things like i talk to people and I'm like oh i really love that course i really like this one section this one climb this one descent i don't remember them at all like all the races that i've done except for you know some of the ones i've done multiple times where you start catching it but um you know some of the loop races especially like i every loop's new almost in a way to, you know to me it's like i'm a, it's a new experience every time i go through it so I, I think it helps with that but and kind of that breaking through the mental aspect i i had well i had ram and also when i tried to do uh i did the thousand kilometer track record i cramped up at the very beginning of both of those like i mean it was within you know the first you know probably five percent of of the event um and that it's that again getting back to that idea that like yeah you just get up through that next lap that next climb um eventually you kind of break through and everything starts loosening up and you start feeling better obviously you got to do some things to get rid of cramps to to uh feel better but um but then you everything starts moving again then too so it's uh yeah i think that that's one of the fun things about these events too is to like realize oh that was that was hard but i got myself through that right and it's i always just have a really good chat with myself of i can't take this pain anymore and then i'll just think you could quit and the pain would go away in a day or two. But if you quit, you've got to live with that from now on. And I remember failures really vividly, and I don't like that. So it's like if you can just get through this period and keep going, the pain's going to be over in another 24 hours. So do you want to finish in 24 hours or be kicked back and resting for the previous 24 hours and it just always <laughs> wins out to keep going. Another thing that I learned from Lon Haldeman uh, when I was racing Ram and having a hard time, he told my career, don't let John quit over anything that will heal within two weeks. 
It's a, it's a famous yeah. lawn quote, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it goes back to George's point. It, it hurts like hell right now, and if I stop, it'll stop hurting, but I really shouldn't do that. Uh, when, when you're doing your 15-minute poll, George, what are you thinking about? Uh, depends on if I've been eating well or anything like that. It's It's really bad in a relay race where you're going all out and thinking, oh my gosh, I wish Bryce had asked someone else to do this because he'd be doing a whole lot better right now. <laughs> um, otherwise, I just try to get totally focused in the moment. And I found that I used to be really not depressed when a when an event would come to an end, but I over the last few miles, I'd just be thinking, gosh, what could I have done? If I'd only done this, I could have been faster. And I've really changed my mental attitude after all the therapy from the accidents I've had of if I go into an event and I feel like I've done my absolute best and I've prepared as best I could that my schedule will allow and you beat me, I'm happy for you. I, I, I hate it when we come up at, the, at a finish line and there are excuses for, well, John, you know, good ride, but... I had all this go wrong. Well, you had a lot of stuff go wrong too. And if I've done the absolute best that I can on the things I can control and you beat me, that's awesome. Now the chances of my beating George are slim to none, but to, two comments, George, George made an extremely important point, which is focus. When he's riding as hard as he can, if he's thinking about something else, he's not riding as hard as he can. He's got to be 100% focused. And I meditate every morning as a way of focusing simply on my breathing to learn to focus, 100% focus. And on a good morning, I only have 20 extraneous thoughts come through in 20 minutes. And on a bad morning, you know, I'm thinking constantly about other things. But, but it's a skill you can learn by practicing. And there's an article on the website, uh, about sports psychology, using mental skills to improve your riding. Second point. There was a second point. What were you talking? I forgot, George. What were you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bryce wishes, wishes he had chosen another partner. I, I know. I know. <laughs> if, if, if you've done your absolute best and you come in second, so be it. It's important when you're thinking about goals to set what we call smart goals. So you want something that's specific. Not to finish raw, but you want to finish in X hours. You guys got a goal time for this one? We haven't discussed this yet. What? We finished in 52 hours and 45-ish minutes last year. And, um, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to do that with an event like this because maybe the winds are going to be different. It might be 120 degrees in the desert. We might have van problems. That's why I just, I always want to be very focused on what I can control and do the best I can with it. I'm going to get back to what you control and do the best you can, but a, a goal isn't really a good goal if it isn't measurable in some sense. I mean, the goal could be as simple as finishing with the time limit, mm -hmm. but you've got to have a goal. Bryce, did you want to add something to that? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was exactly what I was thinking of, you know, especially, especially with the, the work I do. That's kind of the main aspect of it is it it's it's not a goal unless you can measure it um so i i guess i uh 
yeah, I mean, I'm. I guess I'll come out. I'm. I'm shooting for fifty. I think. I think we should try and break fifty if we can. Um, and but we'll see. You know, and if we don't don't get there, I think that's where you said you have, you have the perfect scenario. You have the the fallback scenario, in your head. Um, I think for me, I, my goals with it are to be steady. Um, to make sure that I'm maintaining a power output through mine without getting overly excited you know so I'm going to be looking at things like that with each pull where I'm like saying okay you know keep it keep it even make sure that you know you're not burning yourself up in the first three minutes when you know you got to be doing these 15 30 minute pulls every single time let's let's try and be steady and and um you know probably a little conservative to start but um so I'll, I'll be looking at goals like that all the way mm-hmm. through the race too mm-hmm. and I think the smaller goals will add up to then the the bigger result at the end too. I'm yeah, glad so. you said 50 hours because I'd kind of like to break 50 hours <laughs> 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 so, so that leads into the, into the third part of SMART goals. First part is specific second part is, is measurable third part is achievable and given the way you two guys ride going sub 50 is achievable but we could all think of a couple of other riders who, if they said they want to go sub-50, you just shake your head. That, that, that is simply not achievable. No way. The fourth part, the R, is realistic. And realistic means given the amount of time you have to train, mm-hmm. given the complexities of life, given your current physical condition, can you put in what it takes? Yeah. I don't know. I got three weeks to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I I think we'll we'll find out probably with this trial run a little mm-hmm. bit too, and maybe we'll have to readjust at that point. But um, and and that that's a little bit of the learning experience on this particular event for me too is like how does the the handoffs how does that improve our speed? You know, to like you know I'm sort of looking at like okay if I were going solo I could do about this and then now that we have all the rest periods in there rather than having to just keep keep your pace at a sustainable for you know two and a half days how much more of an increase can we make that as a team and I I think it's a it's an interesting problem that it's something that's going to become more clear as we we get more familiar with riding with each other too So. so so Bryce is making a really important point which is is break it down into small goals if somebody's doing, if somebody's doing, say, uh, a 1,200K, break it down into when do you want to get to the first control? What's your goal for that? How can you measure that? Second really important point is the one that both of you are making, which is all you can really control is your preparation and do your absolute best in your preparation. And if there are hellacious headwinds or you have a serious mechanical it's super hot in the desert or somebody else is just having a better ride you can't control those variables and all you can do is get to the finish line uh, like George is saying of, of, of knowing that you have done absolutely everything that you can to prepare and you've done the best in, your, in the event but other things are outside of your control and it doesn't matter whether it's a century and you want to put in your best possible preparation or a 600K, or a 12-hour time trial, any of those. 
And absolute best preparation comes back to our success factors, all six of them. So what we talked about last time, planning and training. What we're talking about this time, nutrition and mental. And what we'll talk about next time, equipment and skills. And in my experience as a coach, mental is the most neglected one of the six and where people can make the most improvement. Do you guys agree with that? I would say, yeah, I would, I would agree it's ne neglected. I think it's um, kind of, as we mentioned before, it's tougher to measure progress on that one, though, as well. So, um, so setting goals for mental is hard. Very hard. So. That's pretty much what I work. I love working out on the indoor trainer because it's so mental. And I visualize, I mean, I'm in the desert. I'm, when I'd be hiking a, a hill, at the ski area to set up a course before we opened and carrying all that stuff up, I was on the 10% grade in Monument Valley. Bryce was in the van needing me to take a pull. I totally, I mean, it was such a, a vivid situation and I couldn't stop. And I'm over 9,000 feet working up there and hiking up this thing, and I was totally in Utah on that climb, needing you to have me keep going. And, uh, I, you know, I try to stay focused, but I know in Monument Valley, I'll be back um, hiking up the ski hill going, come on, you did this before. You can see black things moving in front of your eyes and keep going. Yeah. Back to Bryce's point of, of it, it's hard to have mental measurable it, it it's, ex it's extremely hard if not impossible to measure improvements but you can measure and log faithfulness in practice did you do mental training every day i have one client who is easily distracted and doesn't sleep well and i have this client report uh, for every night how long this individual slept but I also have this client doing specific breathing exercises to learn to focus and relax. Then I also want to come back to the visualization. Uh, I learned a really powerful lesson about this back in 1992 when I was riding Boston, Mo Boston, Montreal, Boston, and I'd already done three 1200K, so there wasn't a question of could I ride 1200K. I was going into it to be the first finisher. One does not win in Brevets, right? But one can sure go to be first. And I visualized. Uh, my then wife and I, we were down in Santa Fe, and so what I would do is I would put my helmet on and put my shoes on and my shirt, you know, my riding kit, and I would sit outside, uh, if I could, in the rain, because it was probably going to rain sometime during BMB. And I would visualize riding the first 400K, and I wasn't thinking about it. I was there. As many physical sensations as I could get, sitting there with my eyes closed, I was doing the first 400K. The next day, the second 400K. Third day, the third, the final 400K. And I went through that twice. Huge uh, effect on my confidence. With, within about 15 miles of the start, I started in the second group, the fast group. There were about 10 of us. I, I was off the back. I mean, those New England hills, they're steep. And steep is not my uh, forte. I thought, well, okay. I visualize this. I'll catch him. And by the second control, I was in the lead, just as I'd visualized it. And I'm riding along, and 
About 2 a.m., I'm getting really, really sleepy. And then I saw this store with a covered porch. And I went over and I lay down and I had something to eat and I took a 20-minute nap, just like I'd visualized. I'd actually been there and done that in my visualization. Got up and I kept going through the, the whole event. I'd never ridden in New England. I had no idea what it was like. But having visualized it, I knew what I was doing and I was able to keep going. So that's another really important tool. And it's not about analytically thinking about it. It's about imagining the experience. And one of the reasons I stress mental, one of the reasons we're all talking about it is, especially as I get older, my clients get older, it's harder and harder to improve physically. You start to plateau, it's harder to get more out of your body, but if you can improve mentally, all kinds of different ways, ride smarter, you can do as well as or better than other people. And better doesn't have to mean faster. It could mean doesn't hurt as much. Could mean having more time to stop and enjoy the controls or whatever, you know, smell the roses. So any articles people can check out on roadbikerider.com that you've written, John? Well, there's the new one that just came out on the six success factors and how to become a better cyclist. Uh, there's the one I mentioned on sports psychology, using that to be a better rider. There's the one I mentioned on eating and drinking like the pros. So check those out, please. Thank you, gentlemen. John Hughes, Bryce Walsh from the Scratch Lab Studios in Boulder, Colorado, roadbikerider.com radio. I'm George Thomas. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.